Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, my guest tells me the five little things from their life that they treasure enough that they would like to preserve them in a time capsule. They can pick four things that they love or would like to see again, but they must also choose one thing that they regret or find embarrassing or annoying. So that's it. Four good things, one bad thing. And we see where this conversation takes us and what it reveals. My guest in this episode is the actor Robert Bathurst, who is probably best known for playing David Marsden in the long-running ITV series Cold Feet. But he's had an extraordinarily wide and varied career. As an ex-president of the Cambridge Footlights, he's jumped all over the place. On TV, he's been in shows from Red Dwarf and The Lenny Henry Show to Downton Abbey, Wild at Heart, Mrs. Brown's Boys, both the television series and the film, Toast of London, and the sitcom Joking Apart. And his theatre work has been similarly varied. Present Laughter, Blythe Spirit, Whipping It Up in the West End with Richard Wilson, the one-man shows Alex, and more recently, Geoffrey Bernard is Unworld, not to forget the National Theatre. In fact, Robert has been in constant demand. Indeed, the week before this recording was made, he was performing in the play Love, Loss and Chianti, which he'd been instrumental in bringing to the Riverside Studios in London. Then, sadly, all theatres were forced to close. But luckily for me, this meant he was at home and available for me to visit and have a chat, which begins with us talking about that very play. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, the, the audiences have been... Um, I've never known such a sort of fulsome reaction. I mean, of course, all actors say that. But uh, what I, what I, what it's, it's been a project which um, I think it may have another life, but I'm only that I want to take it abroad and things like that. So, mm. And so I'm filming it this week and will do um, in front of no audience, just simply because it's an impossible show to describe yes. to a two-hander with cartoon animation in verse. No. It doesn't really set, set, set them alight. <laughs> and so when people do see it, um, it does actually, and uh, and people get it, and they um, find the language um, exalting and engaging and unexpected and um, beautiful and exciting, and uh, and the animation that goes with it is very difficult to say. You say cartoon animation, people think it might be something scratchy, something rather sort of boiling and uh, over over repeated. Um, and uh, it's a it's a work of art in its own right. Second half is a is a like a short film really, of animation if, uh, with it's in the background. But it, the first half is using images from Greek parts is more abstract. Mm-hmm. I call them screen kisses of animation, and they're just they come dropping in as meditative pauses between certain sections. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all that all that seems to have struck with people and. Um, it did with me. I really enjoyed it. Okay. I thought it was lovely. And the second half, as you say, is really extraordinary. You find yourself for large periods of the play 
watching the, the backdrop. For and you hear the language with it. And you hear the language flowing mm. from it. Mm. Mm. So it mm. is, a, mm. you know, you know what's going on because actually you're watching the cartoons almost for their reaction. Well, it's a third-person narration, and so some, some of it is going on on the screen, what, they're descri- what the characters mm. are describing, or he's describing particularly. Uh, yes, I'm interested. I don't know how people watch it. I don't know, because the, the, the danger of doing sort of multidisciplinary stuff, you know, <laughs> if you've got music and cartoons and uh, sound and stuff like that, is how much of it gets in the way of the other. And, and, uh, and I've always, all throughout the planning of it, the whole point of it was to support the language. And uh, and nothing should swamp it. There's too many stage shows that I see where production squashes the language. I've seen Shakespeare recently where the sound treatment was so loud you couldn't hear the language. Admittedly, the actors weren't speaking very clearly, <laughs> but nonetheless, it was uh, there was there were huge echoing clangs over couplets which Shakespeare had crafted so that they would be dramatic in their own right. Yes. <laughs> Completely unnecessary. No, well, it was unnecessary. But anyway, so however, that's aside from what I was doing, but what we were doing. And uh, you try and design everything so that it's, so that it is, oddly enough, it's, it's the images of the language and the, and the images they create are, are, are there at the forefront. Anything else, it assists that. When did you discover this poetry? 2010. It came out in two thousand and nine, uh, and a friend was ill, and and uh, and and I read it, read the first one, there was a scattering, and I thought, oh, blimey, because I was feeling fairly turbulent, and uh, in the sense that I couldn't articulate what I was feeling, and uh, so reading a scattering, I don't, th- I don't, I, I don't hold that sort of poetry is necessarily therapy, you know, all that, like that but 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 it was, it articulated emotions in a way which I was completely incapable of doing. And um, and it had wit and it had spin on it and and uh, resolution and development and very very characterful. Um, I thought two things. One is, God, this is this is handy. This is really helps. And the other is, I really want to do this on stage. <laughs> and the third thing was, I hope nobody else does it before I do it. <laughs> <laughs> very wise. So there was a sort of there was a proy impulse behind it, uh, in addition to all the, the the emotional thing that was going on when reading it. And I'd just come off the back of doing. A, uh, a thing with Charles Peaty, the cartoonist, of his his creation, Alex, who's a banker. And uh, we did that, oddly enough, um, straddling the crash. So so <laughs> both my projects with Charles Peaty <laughs> have been sort of scuppered by, by, by worldwide events. <laughs> or maybe you're the cause. Maybe we are. So the, the, my third project with Charles Peaty, watch out. Some, some Armageddon's going to, going to land. World War Three. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, so we've gathered together in your beautiful living room with the countryside outside, which makes us feel much happier. The idea is that I have a time capsule Uh with me. And in it, you choose five small, seemingly insignificant things from your life that to you are more significant than they would seem. Oh, right. Interesting. Well, I think um, one of the very earliest... And exciting and uh, eyes on stalks, um, hairs on the back of your neck, uh, things was probably, and this is this, this actually has informed my um, uh, the weight of my uh, artistic endeavours ever since. Is um, uh, at the Gaiety Theatre Dublin when I was growing up, uh, a pit orchestra, mm. uh, the sound of a pit orchestra uh, tuning up. Um, I, I used to just. Used to, we used to have a box at the side. I think, I think that's smart. But we used to always take a box at the side, which, which achieved two things. One was, one was we could uh, see into the wings. And I used to love watching uh, Maureen Potter, the comedian, and, and uh, uh, other people um, just pausing to go to walk on stage, uh, and 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 seeing somebody sort of checking themselves in the in the mirror just before they went on, uh, unseen by the audience, only by us at the side. And uh, and then, just at the right moment, so walking on two gales of applause. So so them standing in the wings, unseen, they were neutral. Suddenly they were magical. Literally a yard further on as they walked on. Um, so that was one excitement. But but the actual major excitement was 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 leaning across and and hearing the the, the pit orchestra tuning up. And all the sense of excitement and, and promise that, that that brought, 
uh, and also hearing them, hearing them, hearing them play, and the, and the uh, and the, of course they were, they had a full orchestra in those days. You know, it wasn't just somebody with a synth and a drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was just, I mean, probably better than the show itself. Really, just sort of looking down and seeing the, seeing them in action, not realizing, of course, that they were probably bored as hell. <laughs> And maybe drunk and, and probably drunk and uh, just uh, reading their mags in between the numbers and stuff like that. And, uh, but uh, for, for me, that was, uh, that was, that was, it was beautiful and exciting and yes. invigorating and, uh, and uh, charming. Often the overture is the best part of the show. Isn't yeah, it? sure. Sure. Yeah, exactly. That has all the, uh, all, all the promise and this promise not realized. <laughs> I was sitting in the front row at a West End show once and uh, right behind the MD and, uh, that the the, the the event was slightly marred by the fact that the MD was was playing with conducting away and also looking at his watch at the same time, <laughs> thinking when the ends is over. <laughs> <laughs> maybe sometimes they're given instructions: you can't finish after ten thirty. It costs us more money. Oh well, so maybe they probably, M, the probably MU exactly. Probably the SKS could put it in quicker time. Exactly. Like that. <laughs> but uh, no, those those pantos were great, were great because I remember uh, Maureen Potter was um, was a big thing at that time. And uh, and the and the prime minister was uh, Charles Hawhey, and uh, I remember a gag that she said, which was that Charles Hawhey was so vain, so vain that he's he's got his donkey to say Hawhey instead of he haw. <laughs> <laughs> What a great joke! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you are a lover of uh, of gags. Is that because were these variety shows that you went to see? And, no, this uh, is Panto. This is Panto, and uh, the annual thing we used to go to. I lived in like, Dublin for six years. So I was probably about five when when this happened, when I first saw it. Um, what what took you there then? What you? Well, my father. Okay? I was born in Africa, and, and then my father, my father spent twenty years getting back to the Britain after the war. Uh, he was an engineer and got a job in Africa, uh, various jobs in Africa, and then got a job in Ireland, and then forty into sixty six we came back. Mm-hmm. Um, so his. My parents' cultural reference, his particular cultural reference points. Um, we hadn't been in Britain since 1942 when he went to Burma, so he, uh, so his cultural reference points were all from the 30s. <laughs> yeah, so, Completely, uh, yeah, yeah. So he had, I mean, the, the swinging 60s hadn't really. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no. So he came back in with his trilby, it will and his bowler hat, and his bowler hat, and his yes, exactly that. It was all yes. Good <laughs> um, yes, young yeah, man. Get yeah, your hair cut. Yes, yes, yes. Is the general strike still on? <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, no, that's right. So, you know, and I loved Ireland. I mean, I adored, adored living in, in Ireland. Um, and it was an interesting, I mean, it sort of slightly informs quite a lot of music tastes and all that sort of thing. Mm. So, so. Mm. Do you remember any particular act that you saw, or any performer in those shows? Um, well, only her and um, no. I mean, she was ex- she was extraordinary. She, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, in my opinion, she's up there with Marie Lloyd and, and, and all that. Uh, because uh, I, mean, I, I don't know if I don't know how big Maureen Potter was. I just, I just for her, she was, she was the epitome of, of greatness. Yeah. And um, uh, I suspect she was, she was huge in her field. Um, but whether she um, made any impact over here, I don't know. Does that moment ever come back to you when you're standing in the wings? Um, well, I've always, I've always. I always, well, it's a very pro-y talk, isn't it? But I mean, I, I, yeah, I always love, I love that moment. I love that moment of, of just before you go on and, and I always think of two numbers before I go on stage, a 30 and 20. Well, it's just that you've been, I've been standing in the rings before and people have been going, oh God, it's been going on for three months. I'm so bored. Mm. Oh God, what are we going to, how are we going, where am I going to find it? Where am I going to find the, the energy to do this show again? <laughs> and you think, hang on a minute, people have spent 40 quid out there. They've spent 50 quid. What are you coming to see this? So anyway, I always think of, I always think of 30 and 20 before I go on stage, which is that 30% of the audience uh, aren't entirely sure they want to be there. They've, they've, they've got babysitter problems, or they've got mm. there's a corporate night, or they come with friends and they feel they have to come. Yeah, they're not entirely convinced that this is where they want to be that night. And twenty percent, twenty percent of the audience might at any one time be asleep. So, so <laughs> if, if you have thirteen, twenty, now you think you go out and get them first. Yeah, yeah. And you don't, you can't assume that anyone's going to be listening. No. And so that builds a certain sort of tension just before you go on. And you think, right, I'm going to get them. And they're going to, I'm not going to just assume anyone's listening. That's very good because it is crucial each time to remember this is a new audience. Mm. 
if you, yeah, if you yeah, rest yeah. on your laurels, then that's when you fall over. Well, there's a danger of just sort of. But I mean, you, you always uh, Ken Dodd always talked about getting the bridge with the audience, didn't he? He said within ten seconds. He said, mm. well, I mean, that's obviously if you're doing stand up, but uh, um, just just to just to, just to welcome them in, just make people feel it's all right. We're all in this together. Another ninety minutes, you'll be out. Don't worry. Just 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 join in for the time being. What was the name of that wonderful book that you lent me, describing how to time a joke? Oh, yes. Michael Kilgariff. It's still available, I think. Um, Samuel French's edition. There's, there's two volumes, Make Em Raw, R-O-A-R, <laughs> Make Em Raw, Vol 1, and Make Em Raw, Vol 2. <laughs> and Michael Kilgariff, uh, in his introduction to uh, his, his musical Pataracs, um, a lot of them, a lot of them are just hoary old gags. I mean, terrible, terrible, terrible jokes. And, of course... Um, well off colour for today's tastes. Mm. Um, but uh, I remember one, mm. which, uh, again, is impossible to use because it's completely outdated, which is that uh, I stayed in a four-star hotel. You could tell it was four-star because all the rooms smelled of petrol. Yeah, very good, of course, yes. Four-star, who would know? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> that doesn't go down too well nowadays. No, everybody uh, stares at you. In, but he had, he had, he he had in his introduction to one of the Vols, Vols 1 or Vol 2, I think it was in Vol 1, where he was telling us what... Um, how to how to create a um, um, a, a musical act, um, and he made a rather general term general general statement, which was uh, um, young people like jokes about sex, old people like jokes about jock straps and bedpans. <laughs> absolute rule of comedy. That's it. <laughs> it was the, full of rules. Though, wasn't full it? of rules, absolutely. And there was halfway through the the act. I think I think it's still available. I don't, it's quite fun to see it if it is. But uh, halfway through the an, an act. A bit that you're supposed to be doing. Uh, it says brackets and it and the and italics says pause here for laughter. This is a surefire winner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I first came across it in, in the late seventies. Jim Bartley, he was he used to quote it in his act. And it was part of his act. He used to he used to quote from it. Read it out. Yeah, yeah exactly. very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I used it for a, for a um, a comedy act at a primary school. My local Brixton primary school had a fundraiser, and so I plundered that book for it. But they had a real musical act doing doing a show. Uh, I won't say his name, but he was brilliant. I mean, absolutely brilliant. He was on at the Palladium, and, and he was he did this extraordinary drunk act, cigarette swallowing drunk act. Hmm. And he was brought out of retirement in his eighties. Uh, but he um, he wasn't the most generous of souls. And uh, when he heard that I was doing some musical gags, um, he was pretty, pretty snotty. He was sort of, but you're an actor, aren't you? you know, it, was, it suddenly became very serious, you know. And that, so all the all the audience were on primary school chairs, you know, with their knees around their ears, <laughs> and uh, we were changing in a classroom and and doing that. And and he was, he was pretty curmudgeonly in the, Still in, the, in, the in the very competitive. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I was, I thought, well, I'm down. This is going to go badly. I'm going to make sure. So I, I did the act from Make Em Raw and. Uh, yeah, it went round really well. So the, the the applause was still ringing, ringing down the school corridors I, as I went into the classroom, and there he was fixing his bow tie. Uh, he was going to go on later on, and uh, and uh, I sort of looked at him as if to say, "There, you know, <laughs> like that." And all he said was, "You try doing that twice a night for six months." Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can do it once, mate. You do it once. He has ten seconds to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. <laughs> So no, that, so that all that sort of panto stuff. But the, the, the pit orchestra was certainly something that uh, I can tell. Now, when I hear a pit orchestra now, I think if I was if I was um, if if I was on my desert island, I would I would certainly have a pit orchestra warming up would be part of my yeah, <laughs> one of my, one of my things. Lovely, right? Well, we're going to we'll take it. We, that goes inside your time capsule, you see. <laughs> and you. then when we close this up, you can hide this away. Yeah. And then in your dotage. Yes, of course. When you can't remember these yes, things. Yes, next week. Yes, next week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so well, that's it. That's the first thing in. Uh, right. So okay. what's what's number okay. two? Number two. There's bound to be one from Ireland, yeah, which was um, probably hot chocolate. Now this sounds rather too cosy, but I was sent away to this prep school in in uh, in County Meath, and uh, and it was just hideous. I bet all schooling was hideous. All schooling. Was, I mean, you're not saying that. Um, at the school, I've been back to the school since. Actually, I went back recently, and uh, it's all cosy and co-ed and delightful. And mm-hmm. you, know, you can bring your ponies to school and stuff like that. It was all very good. Um, but uh, it's this huge Georgian barracks in, in near Kells in County Meath. 
And I was sent away when I was eight. I don't think my mother was very well, so she was she was away for months. And I think we were packed off because of that. So we went off to this uh, this, this Anglo-Irish prep school in Kells, and um, it was it was it was vile. I mean, you know, it was. I mean, I've I've seen people since, and people said I'm a complete wimp for not enjoying it. Didn't do me any harm, you know, all that sort of stuff like that. And you think, oh, I know you're sort. Uh, and I was all right, guys. I, I was only in there. For, I was only there for two years or so. I did. My brother hated it more, almost more than I did. But um, there were sort of certain smells and tastes and 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 things which 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 you sort of clung to, or rather, I, I now remember as being great, of great comfort uh, when you when you were sort of abandoned in this wretched place. And, and there were lots of smells which were revolting. Um, I, I won't go into detail what the uh, the boys labs were like but and everything that was on the wall there and and uh that was that was truly revolting and then but then the sort of days of uh, days when when and when the thickest creamiest hot chocolate would be would be be provided you know before you went out for a walk or something like like that and that was this is ideal um the smell of 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 um blanco on cricket uh, pads and and uh boots those were the first times I ever smelt those, mm. uh, but they were they were sort of think moments you sort of clung to in this sort of regime of fear and and uh, and physical danger that you uh, were, were found yourself marooned in uh, at the age of eight nine. Oh Lord! I was talking to a, uh, an actress who who um, went to school in Ireland, and uh, and she was telling me that when she was uh, she was head girl at her school. Um, if something went wrong in the school, the headmaster would beat her and then come to her room um, uh, at night, nothing other untoward beyond that, but uh, would sit on her bed and start crying and asking for forgiveness. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and, uh, and I said to her, I said, how did you, how do you cope with that? And how does it, how, how do you, she said, I'm, it makes me very good at hiding, she said. Mm. Uh, and also, that, that's the other thing about sort of, doing what we do in, in, in theatre and stuff like that. You know, there's an element of hiding in it, or at least a, and some people say, oh, you've got to show yourself. No, not a bit of it. You can, you can show other people. But, uh, uh, but uh, and that element of hiding behind a character, I think, who knows, I'm not, you're, you're, you're getting me on the, on the, on the, on the psychiatrist's couch. Uh, I shall <laughs> leap off it and, uh, and, uh, and uh, run through the daisies and, uh, and, uh, and um, um, make shapes. We but don't have the answers. We don't have the answers, no. But, uh, the, but yeah, those ghastly, ghastly early prep school things, uh, which everybody, so many people, mm. um, find uh, affecting. An uncommon treat. Absolutely. Well, no, it was fairly, fairly regular, but it was, it was a, it was, <laughs> hot chocolate was a, yes. So I'd certainly put hot chocolate in my capsule. As, Love uh, it. As, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. might put it in a, a thermos flask. <laughs> An old thermos flask. Yes, but all thermos flasks I've ever had, the old fashioned was all smashed. That's <laughs> you always drop them. Yes. And uh, but nowadays yes, no. And an old fashioned thermos flask with thermos written on it, I hope. Mm, uh, of yes, course. absolutely. Oh, yes, I'll check Green and brown stripes. I'll put yeah. put a flask in my capsule. That'd be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> there we are. Right, that's in then. Lovely. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Oh. Yeah, it's just 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 noises. I've got this very annoying water pump which, uh, oh, right. which which you should turn on the taps and the whole house roars you think well <laughs> just what's wrong with sort of gravity feed you know, so, you know anyway some kind of persuade us to buy that's alright yeah yeah. Um, yeah how many have we got you've got four of these have we we've done two we've done two we've only got to we've eight done, uh, I've only got aged eight so uh, so uh, we've done two so yeah, at this got... rate I'm going to be 16 by the time we dry up yeah exactly <laughs> so it doesn't have to be chronological it doesn't you know well, I mean, it's a sort of classic thing that that you know, your first few years take much longer than the last forty years. Yes, you know, and uh, <laughs> and as the, the rest the of year, it's repetition, the years was it repetition? Yeah, probably. And how your the years sort of click along like numbers on a petrol pump, don't they? Mm. The speed of it. Um, did you row at, at university? I, mean, I rowed. Row, rowing at university was I did uh, for a term. I was at a college, um, Pembroke College, and and we. We had a novices eight, in other words, so, so first up. And I and but the trouble was I was doing shows in the evening and rowing at, at seven in the morning. Uh, something had to give. Mm. Law studies, I have to say, did take take a bit of a knock as well. <laughs> uh, but that was for, for uh, that was general. Um, 
Yeah, I did. I did. I, I rode and there was, uh, I rode at number seven and the boy at number eight, the stroke was uh, a boy called Bellringer. I had to write a report on the race um, for the college paper or whatever. And uh, the only race I ever rode in, um, Bellringer caught a crab and ended up in my lap. Um, and I, I earned his undying hatred by, by headlining the report, A Clanger by Bellringer. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, so that, that was the only rowing I, um, I, uh, I, I, I rode in. Because you are tall, you're a tall man. So, tall, I mean, yeah. They would, my uncle, they would go my, for you, my they? uncle rode in the, in the boat race yeah. in, uh, in 1952 when Oxford sank. And there was a programme, Brian English used to present a programme called All Our Yesterdays, uh, which included a tiny clip of Oxford sinking with uh, the Cambridge boat in the background. And we used to always, before, and look at it, used to go, one, two, three, four, five, six, there's Roger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, yeah, that was... Uh, so, yeah, no, no rowing was never, never, never a big part of my life. Uh, but by the time you got to university, you knew you wanted to be... Well, I wanted, to, I wanted to do all, all what I'm doing at the moment, but um, uh, I lied. I lied at my interview for it. I said I wanted to be a lawyer. So I thought if I said I wanted to do... Um, <laughs> light entertainment and uh, um, uh, I probably wouldn't have gone in no so uh... okay we've come to that moment in the podcast where we take a short break for an advert we'll be back in a moment cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com life is full of what-ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Thanks for staying with us. Okay, let's get back to Robert Bathurst and find out what else he would like to put in his time capsule. So I'll tell you what, I like like some gas and air. Uh, I like some nitrous oxide in my my capsule. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good thing. uh, That reminds me of, of, uh, I've had four, Victoria and I have given birth four daughters uh, and I've been, uh, of course, there for all of them. But um, but, uh, the great thing about um, having uh, having children in hospital, especially, uh, is that the uh, the husband is, is rather the, the partner is rather redundant. But uh, when the when the midwife's out, you can have a good old toke of gas and air, <laughs> and 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 it just reminds me of of, uh, of of all four trips to St Thomas's Hospital, and also all the glorious future that uh, all the four girls uh, have uh, have given us mm. um it's a bit of a frivolous one i think perhaps but it, nonetheless it's uh, uh and it shows how um useless the man is really <laughs> when all the work is being done mm. uh, by her um but uh you think i could love to have a little little like canister of that with wherever i go <laughs> and so if i if i open my um, time capsule in the future just to have a have a little canister of that, and uh, if I'm feeling, yeah, it'll improve the mood. <laughs> and I've been in that situation, and uh, my wife refused gas and air. She yeah, said, no, no, if I'm, she refuses well, it, it means there's lots for you. Well, <laughs> they took it out of the room. They took it out of the room. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. You, yeah, you want her to have, have taken a few of that. And so uh, now I got told off. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I got told off. This is not for partners. And I was quietly sort of you know, in the corner. <laughs> Um, I was reasonably, reasonably um, helpful, but not, you know, because there's a limit to what you can do. Yes, I mean, you say helpful, sometimes not. Uh, my wife tells me that at one point she looked up to see me shouting at the doctor, we just cut her open. 
Really? Yes. God, That's how so desperate you were I was. panicking. I was panicking, yes. Right. I was panicking, thinking this thing will never come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yes, yes. Were all four fine for you? Were they easy? Yeah, well, no, no, there was no one that uh, one was his own. But, uh, mm. uh, and I was tucked in behind the curtain. I mean, you know, I wasn't, uh, no. I wasn't a, a spectator on that one. So that's rather an old-fashioned experience of birth, isn't it? Sitting outside, as it were. Well, uh, no, no, I was there. Uh, but, oh, no, no, I wasn't spectating. I was behind the curtain. Oh, when, so you couldn't see so, With Victoria, they, were, they, they drew a sort of big green sort of curtain. So when the, when the operation was happening, um, I, I was up with her, with her head. I wasn't... I wasn't uh, yeah, yeah. But you are in the room. I, well, of course I was in the room, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for all the... No, no, I wasn't, um, I wasn't pacing, pacing outside with a cigarette and, uh, <laughs> with all the other dads. No, I'm sure <laughs> that was uh, the way things were. But... Uh, yeah, there's sort of massive learning experiences. The things that things that you're thrown, and we still are. You know, when when your parents die, or when you're in, and and when things happen to you, and things 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 happen, you, you're endlessly being thrown. And and it is it is part of a thing of being sort of um, family sort of blown apart. You're not you haven't got granny telling you exactly. You're le- leading the way. You haven't got some. You're you're you're, you're endlessly. Everyone's first up the mountain themselves. They have no one's no one's guiding you. Mm-hmm. You don't want it nowadays. You don't want to be guided. You don't want to be led. You want to f- experience it and work it out for yourself. And and uh, uh, you, you, I'm not sure that that's the healthiest thing um, because uh, you want you want someone to sort of tell you to speak from experience a bit. And the other thing is people talk to you as though they're the only people who've had children as well. That's, <laughs> that's a result. Which thing is, it's a very common thing, but it's an intensely personal experience, which is why everybody goes on about it as though they are the only people who've had children. But, uh, yeah, no, and it's, you, you go to uh, uh, sort of an Indonesian village or something like that, and there you've got the kampung with all the you know, three sides of houses, square of houses, low huts, and there the entire family is, and you've got the old people doing stuff and they've all got their role everyone has already might be oppressive for us in, a, in, a, in the way we like to lead our lives and having everybody on hand but I'm always very jealous of people who um, live around the corner from their parents and um, had them on hand my parents were 200 miles away uh, and uh, it's, it's too far too far you know you actually um, there must be a way of, of, of uh, having other generations in your life slightly closer so we had child childbearing. I mean, I did go to a um, I did go to a thing at St Thomas's about how to be a parent, and Victoria said she'd been to a couple of those and, and she didn't want to go. So I was the only single dad um, at one of the, this parenting class, uh, and I was the only one who laughed actually because uh, <laughs> there was uh, there was a video of people who'd been through it to tell us um, their experiences, and uh, it got to uh, money. It was a heading was money and sort of and this couple, very sweet couple, were. Sitting there with their with their baby, talking about um, bringing up children, and uh, in the early days, and they were saying, uh, and he was saying, well, you know, it's not that expensive. I mean, he said what with her breastfeeding, that it's cheaper than keeping a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed. No. And they looked around at me, so oh no. But they actually so, put that into the yeah, video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was rather, And you were uh, the only one that laughed. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was just, that was really good advice. Yeah, it was, really it was, good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't yeah, worry it was, about it. It was Frank, exactly. Yeah, don't worry. Don't, don't, don't be too too pious about it. <laughs> uh, so, um, but, uh, yeah. Right. Okay. We're going to put some gas and air into your time. Gas and air. Just gas and air. Gas and air. Gas and air represents because you see, I always think whenever I go past well, on Westminster Bridge, I always look up and I always count count the floors up to the seventh floor, and uh, I go zip there we are. That's right. That's and I look at the windows, and I remember looking out of those windows at the same time as everything was going on. Off my face, we got thirteenth <laughs> <laughs> floor for me. Thirteenth floor, no, Thomas- not not at St Thomas's, yeah. no, no, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. yes, as I come into London Bridge, right. I do exactly you, get, you do the one, two, three, four, five, and you count up the windows there, and look. There it is. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it looks so small in, next to the shard, but uh, yes. But I remember standing there and looking out of the window across yeah. London, yeah, and feeling that. Yeah, this world was mine. Yeah, absolutely. No, sure. And you were the only person who had children. Yes, had a I've just had a child. <laughs> and, uh, when will the announcement be made? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, it is. It's a fantastically and really deeply intense experience, and and for everybody, for all of us, and uh, and deeply personal. Mm. And uh, 
No, yeah, that that certainly certainly that uh, that little capsule would remind me of uh, all four of those. Mm. I spent some time when Mandy was uh, studying, so she was studying, and I became the surrogate mum by going to the coffee mornings. Mm. Every single week, these coffee mornings, the same thing happened. One of them would mention, you know, how difficult the birth of one of their children had been, mm. and then they would all competitively mm. compare notes. So they would say, oh, well, how long were you? Uh, only 47 hours. Mm. Oh, three weeks. Have they seen the four Yorkshiremen in the That's exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah. It was extraordinary. There's a thing I do on stage and on, on, in theatres. I had, I'd, this show I've just been doing, we just started it. I started it once when I was at the Bush Theatre and eight of us were in a tiny dressing room. And uh, half an hour before the show started, someone would play a track of music. And uh, they they were entitled to talk about it if they wanted to for between, you know, it's half a minute, a minute maximum. They wouldn't try and persuade us that the music was any good. They would just try and persuade, tell us what what, what bit of their lives it, it attached to. Um, the story wouldn't leave the dressing room. That was one of the rules. And, uh, and no one would comment during the music at all. No one would comment about the music, particularly after it, and analyse it and critic, critique it. It would just be accepted as being part of their life. Mm. And uh, it was wonderful, actually, because you've got eight people crammed into a room who, you know, the chat, it just develops just develops your understanding of them because you hear their story. It, doesn't, it can be serious, funny or whatever. Uh, but you, and, uh, you, and you listen to the music. And so by the end of the run, we had this uh, double album of music which, which, we, which we'd collated. Uh, each one as you played it, resonated with the story that they told. And, and it was a really good way of, sort of getting to know people obliquely. Yes. Not unlike what you're doing in some ways. And, uh, and, and I've done that with other theatre shows I've done. And this is, otherwise, you just end up seeing them on stage and, yeah. <laughs> and then saying, no, see ya. Uh, but you, you sort of have an accretion of, 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 of stories and aspects and character notes about them, which... Um, make the relationship much richer. That's very good because most of that is usually done in the rehearsal room or the process leading up to the start of the play. Yeah. And actually the bonding that happens afterwards only really ever happens if you're away from home or on yeah. a tour or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it becomes all about the work mm. and and not about the sort of the richer stuff. Um, uh, the anecdotes in a rehearsal room can sometimes take over a bit. Uh, and aren't restricted to a minute sometimes no Uh, I I remember we yeah there was somebody I was working with and it was always 20 minutes once they got going and uh, the director hadn't wasn't really strong enough to say snap it up come on I'll go Um, so that was your cue to go make a cup of tea yeah no absolutely yes her heart sank (laughs) and when that started but um, but yeah it is it is important so inconsequential chat can, can lead into all sorts of areas, which which is uh, enjoyable. And when you're working with people, I, have, I would have never worked in an office, but I would have thought that that would be a great way of of communication within the office. If you, if because I mean, they have meetings, people have meetings the whole time in offices now, don't they? they? You go into an office now. If I walk through an office on my way to something, the only thing you can hear really is the is the the hum of the computer. Um, then there's there's no real buzz and they they have to, in order to talk to each other they have to have meetings to discuss the emails they've sent three yards away to the to the desk next door to them <laughs> and uh and you, i don't know how much people talk in offices now uh, no. so uh so it's a lovely not, way that idea of not only a lovely way to get to know people sort of obliquely as you say but a lovely way to remember them. So, it, yeah. you, in fact, those songs would always remind you of Absolutely them. Absolutely, yeah. There's, there's I mean, several in particular, which I I, I think um, uh, very warmly of the people I've been working with uh, through what they said, the songs that they, they, they gave us. Failure mm. uh, McDermott, the, the, the director, says that the best ideas always happen in the coffee break. And uh, and it's, it's, it's a crying shame that that if you work for in an Amazon warehouse or something like that, you... You have 17 minutes for your coffee break. Two minutes is allowed for you to get through the security passes to get to your coffee break. Four minutes probably is spent standing, having hot water pouring over your shoes as you're trying to collect the coffee from the machine. It doesn't give you a lot of time for the, for the, for the, for the chat that goes on with it. No. And, 
and the coffee break can be can be immensely creative. It doesn't isn't just idle time. Mm. Um, and and the relationships you have with people you work with um, mean that the, the the work you're doing is better. I would have thought. I suppose that, that used to be that uh, it wasn't just a coffee break; it was the bar as well. So. Well, that's another thing. Yes, exactly. Um, not good after lunch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's not good, He's after, not lunch. good after lunch. No, no, oh no. dear! But yes, well, no, I mean, certainly in the city when I did this Alex play, the play about the um, the banker, the cartoon character, uh, the 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 guys who who write uh, Charles Petey and Russell Taylor who write it, this was Janet Rand about the time of the crash, and they were saying that it, if you have to turn up to your desk. American style at sort of seven thirty, and you're not allowed to leave before seven thirty or eight p.m. It's a long time to be at your desk. You've got to justify the time at your desk. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to go out for a long lunch. You have to have a sandwich at your desk in the middle of the day, and um, you've you've got to spend hours at your desk justifying your existence at that desk. And so, what people did was they dreamt up collateralized debt obligations and structured products, which ended up bankrupting the global economy. Hmm. So actually it would have been more profitable to go out and have a long lunch. <laughs> That's very true. I think quite often people uh, will find things to do yeah. rather than have things to do. Yeah. I was, I was talking to someone right here who used to work as he was in his nineties and he was, a, he worked in banking and, and uh, he used to get to work at about nine pretty much have all his work done by 12.30. Good long lunch, and uh, at which work was discussed. He'd be back in time for supper for his, for his you know, he'd put his children to bed, uh, and he didn't have all that awful time pressure that um, people have now. And no. I was told that people in work in banking in Spain, the young people are becoming ill because they try to keep up the normal Spanish lifestyle. Yeah. Which means that they eat eating, very late, eating, eating stay late. up yeah, late, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and are used to having yeah. a siesta. Yes. Well, the banking system doesn't allow for that. No. So no. they're still having the late nights, but yes. not the siesta. Right, and it's be, making yes. people unwell. Someone was telling me the other day uh, and I, uh, that uh, we are we are <laughs> physiologically programmed to have a siesta. Mm. <laughs> I love the idea of that. Yes. It'll doze in the afternoon. Put <laughs> your feet up and lie down. I, and I can see that. I can think that was probably... It makes complete sense. Absolute sense. It absolute should be sense. the law. I think Byron wrote in praise of idleness. And it, and you are, it is, it is. You have to open yourself up to, you have to, idleness, from idleness can come creativity, in mm. my opinion. But that yes. Means. I think you should put that double album of songs. Well, it was a show called um, the Whipping It Up. It was about the, the whip's office in, in, in the House of Commons. Mm. And, uh, and so we called our um, process Desert Island Whips. <laughs> uh, that was the title of our uh, CD that we uh, we eventually produced. Yes, well, I'm not Desert Island Dis. You can take as many songs as you like. You can take them on a, a double album. So I think yeah. you should put that double album in. That and double album. Would be that's great. your background music, yeah, reminding you of those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. That's Lovely. Great. There's four things we've got we have. Four things. What have we got? We've got Desert Island Whips. Yes. CD. We've got, we've got Gas and Air. A never-ending capsule of Gas and Air. Yes. We've got a great big flask of hot chocolate. A great thermos of the creamiest, most comforting hot chocolate that uh, an eight-year-old could wish for. And we've got an orchestra warming up in the background. And we've got a pit band at a panto at the... uh, Any any old pit band, really, but a proper pit band with a full orchestra for a panto in Dublin. That's right. Fantastic. Well, there's a little compartment just around the corner in this time capsule where you're going to put the thing that you find slightly embarrassing or... Uh, embarrassing. Well, I've got a, um, an occasion that's been most embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one of the most embarrassing days was was when I was sailing in Mallorca. You know, I hadn't sailed since I was 15, and uh, this is about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. We were we were on a on a beach in Mallorca on the north side, Poyenza, I think it was called, and um, and they had these dinghies offshore, and we went to the guy who was who was renting them. And he took us out there, out to the boat, and I said, "You couldn't make, you couldn't rig it up for me and get us going." And then I, I think I know what I'm doing. And he sort of sneered at me, but he, you know, he rigged the boat and got us going. Went back to the shore, and the first three tacks, I ran aground. <laughs> and, and 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 Victoria was, I was sort of getting more and more. Victoria said, "They're trying to, they're shouting you from the beach." I said, "I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing." I said, <laughs> 
another tech ran aground again. I freed myself and then got it. Three times it happened like that. And then, uh, and then, it, only then did it occur to me that I hadn't cast off the mooring. <laughs> <laughs> I was so sort of, I thought he'd got it. I thought he'd done that. He hadn't. And, uh, <laughs> Did you think I was, deliberately? I was, I was yawing, <laughs> sort of this way and that. Uh, oh, dear. And uh, yeah, once we got going, I was perfectly, I was perfectly competent, very much. But uh, it's just, I was down to I was going to be told what to do by them shouting at me from the beach. But of course, <laughs> uh, anyway, yes. I made their summer. Well, that, that sense of that hubris. And uh, yes. I know better. Yes. It gets yes. you in a lot of trouble, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does. Exactly. And if you, uh, exactly, because you can, uh, you say, don't watch out, don't listen, don't look. Um, and uh, no, they loved it. Of course, they were. They made their summer. They were very happy when I got back. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Much mockery. Um, but My sure. wife has a dent in her leg ah. where I ran a cruiser in uh, on a river into her basically right yes it's all right you're going too fast no i'm all right i'm gonna at the last minute i know what i'm doing no i know what i'm crash no into her and basically the the pointy end of the boat yeah hit her shin and uh and it break it it didn't break it amazingly but it she pulled it away at the same time but there is there is a a definite dent there is a mark and every now and again she just points to it and goes Mm. michael Mm. Usually when I'm saying, look, yes. I know what I'm doing. I know doing. what I'm doing. <laughs> That's when she will hold her leg up and point to it. Yeah. You know, I mm. once... Oh, God, now I'm telling the embarrassing story. Yeah, exactly. Yes, this is... You're sharing. Been, what's happening? We're sharing, are we? Yeah. Well, okay. you're sharing. I, mean, I am sharing. I'm, yes. I'm trying not to share, but I'm, 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 I'm failing. <laughs> <laughs> I fell over in the street in Manchester last, not so long ago. Uh, the pavement had two had split levels mm. and my head was in the I was in, I was in Edinburgh and my head was, head was in the air right outside a restaurant <laughs> and I sort of you know, my head was in the air I didn't see the spit boink crash over the like that immediately sprung up you know as if nothing yeah. had happened you I know. meant to do that I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine just, just practicing falling over yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I see now sometimes those things are moments that you you relish because I I remember standing on the platform at Tunbridge Wells in a smart suit about to go for a big audition, and I had a contract in a letter in my hand, mm. and I had a styrofoam cup with a glass of milk, oh. and uh, and they announced that the train would mm. be ten minutes late, mm. and I looked at my watch. Oh, well, that's a, yes, oh, and a silent silent movie game. Silent movie. Yeah. I mean, I poured milk all over my suit, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then I tried to. Yes. Brush it with the with hand the that had the letter in, realised that I was going to get this letter wet, yes. released it, yes. it blew up in the air and landed on the track. Perfect, Mike. I said, perfect. Keep it's that perfect. in. Keep it, keep it, keep it. Use it, yeah. No, yeah. Well, uh, but I did look around to see there must be someone on the platform yeah. who's seen it. Yeah. It's so funny. There was no one there. And everybody had their head in newspapers. Oh, now, I don't shame. think anybody saw it. because well, it's perfect business. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. It would keep you amused you see, the I whole think, day. We, we don't have a, a British... People certainly have a sort of um, banana skin. Um, uh, they're amused by banana skins. I, I saw somebody slip on a banana skin in Turkey, uh, and loads of people were there. And this person was really like that. That would have been the soundtrack to that thing like that. And uh, I was really like that. And he, re- he recovered brilliantly and like that. And everybody's sitting around. They're absolutely blank. No, they, none of these people had had a banana skin sensibility about them. As they, they're, sort of, they're enjoying the. Uh, the massive recovery that this person had uh, had achieved. No round of applause. No, no, I was I was silently cheering because uh, and uh, and and looked at them. But they just they just carried on, and I thought this is a terrible, wonderful moment gone to waste. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do have a group mentality like that, don't we? We're yeah. in, in this country mm. that is separate from other countries. I think not all Who other knows? countries, yes, but exactly. some. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for example, if you drop a tray, everybody cheers. Yes, although my one of my daughter's schools, they. Uh, they they banned uh, people laughing when when someone there was a, a stupid headmasterly sort of uh, uh, diktat went out that if somebody drops a tray no one is to cheer. Of course that it's impossible. Not it's to. impossible. We had a teacher at school who um, Mr. Kilbert who uh, who slipped in the uh, in the in the dining hall and and he went and he had a full tray and he ended up brilliantly lying on his back. With the tray and everything on it intact, and he was he was on, on the, the tray on his chest like that. He got the most wonderful round of applause for that. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Colbert, who had a very little duck 
type sort of bit of hair at the back of his head, which looked like a sort of duck's bottom. And, uh, and he was known as Ducky as a result of that. And he always had a sign outside his study door saying, please wipe your feet, which every week got changed to please web your feet, which was very, <laughs> was very easily done. But, <laughs> and every week he changed it back. <laughs> so anyway, so, so well, he was, knew he was called Ducky. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he was, uh, yeah. Uh, so embarrassment. Well, I think that's... Uh, are, you, are, you, are you on the beach of Pienza with me? I'm fine, yes. Yeah. On the beach is a bit yeah. sad. Yeah. I'm afraid that this boat, if you ever get into it uh, in the time capsule, will yes. be eternally moored. Eternally moored. And I will be, I'll be trying, to, trying to sail away and endlessly being brought back to <laughs> yes, the, the fight like that. Yeah, and yeah. running aground. And I will never, ever understand why the boat isn't... isn't no, uh, you'll isn't never realise. And people will be shouting at me from the beach for, in perpetuity. <laughs> Victoria will be shouting at me in the boat in perpetuity. Yes. And I will never, ever, ever get it. You'll never hear it. No, no, no. No, no. no in fact, you'll turn up the CD... Of, yes. uh, of the songs that remind you of the dressing room. Yes, yes, yes. And in the boat, there'll be a canister of... Um, of gasoline. Of gasoline. You'll, be, you'll, to, you'll to, be off your face. So I'll be off my face doing off that. Off your face, going back but, and uh, forth. But, but uh, next to it would be a thermos of, of, of <laughs> hot chocolate. And then, mysteriously, in the, in the, in the bow... Sitting on the bow will be an entire orchestra from the Gate of the Earth of Dublin playing, playing jolly, jolly warm-up music. <laughs> Waiting for the ship to go down. <laughs> oh, there we are. What yeah. a lovely thing to have. Isn't it, Jasper? Perfect. Yes. Oh, great. Thanks, Robert. Oh, thank you very much, Robert. You have been listening to My Time Capsule, which I should imagine you know by now. Still, I'm a man who likes to state the obvious. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest was Robert Bathurst. See what I mean? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you can hear more episodes by subscribing to this podcast on Acast, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, or your own favourite podcast app. Now, if any of these offer you the opportunity, please do take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. We'd be most grateful. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search for My Time Capsule or at MyTCPod or me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and that should take you there. The producer of this podcast is John Fenton-Stevens, and the very catchy music is by Pass the Peas Music. It was a cast-off production. So, until next time, keep well and happy. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.